This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that this week doesn't have a gag because Reese couldn't be bored to write one. So we're just going to say Happy <laughs> New Year. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me are... James Hunt and Reese Williamson. Uh, so today uh, we'll be doing something a little bit different. Uh, we will be discussing um, the uh, Disney Plus show Hawkeye in its entirety, uh, but we'll be starting off with an episode six recap. So um, if you're a listener on Patreon, this is kind of like your standard um, season finale recap episode where we'll be talking through the plot points of that. Um, but we're going to spin it out into a main discussion like we'd have on the on the main feed um, and um, and kind of discuss the show in its entirety. So, yeah, if you listen to, to it on Patreon, you're listening a couple of days earlier. If you're listening on the main feed, you're listening a couple of days later. Or maybe you're a Patreon listener who's just listening to it on the main feed uh, for a bit of a treat. So, um, <laughs> so, so that's what's going on today. We're going to be talking about Hawkeye. Uh, but before of that i'd like to ask james to explain a comic book concept that i just don't understand um so james i have a bit of uh, understanding of this concept from a, an, an episode way back when um but i understand that something new is happening at marvel comics with miracle man so can you can you give me a little recap of miracle man and and what's going on <laughs> right now <laughs> just a nice quick pricey of miracle man <laughs> sure um so shall i shall i tell you what i remember yeah because i think i read i think i read some miracle man so miracle man was like a uh like a a golden egg or there was it was it marvel man or there was a different there was a different character (laughs) who was like a golden age character who alan moore riffed on when he created miracle man well there was a there was a golden age character called Marvel Man who was basically a UK rip off of Captain Marvel. Yes, Shazam I was going to say Captain he's Marvel. got yeah. he's got like the he's got like the he's a kid turning into a superhero vibe. Yeah, and the the comic was brought back and written by Alan Moore in the 80s um under the name Miracle Man or rather it changed its name to Miracle Man uh because of the some rights issues like mainly marvel being like we don't want you to publish a comic with the name marvel in the title 
Mm. Um, so they they changed the character's name to Miracle Man, and Alan Moore wrote these really good comics, uh, handed them over to Neil Gaiman. They were sort of Watchmen era, you know, deconstructivist uh, superhero stuff. It was very very good, and then ended up in legal limbo for years when the publisher went bust. Uh, Neil Gaiman's run was never finished. Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham's run. Um, until then, this is the last time we talked about it. Yeah, there was uh, like, did the rights get picked back up by Marvel, and they were in like they announced some kind of intent to finish the series. Yeah, it was. I think probably as much as twenty years ago now, Marvel sort of announced that they were going to be you know, helping Neil Gaiman sort out the rights. They set up a charity to do it and, you know, eventually got to the point where they could, you know, had everyone sweet on the deal or the legal stuff had been untangled. They republished Alan Moore's issues um, and then intended to republish and then complete Neil Gaiman's run. And although he is currently working on that. However, this week they have also suggested at the end of a comic called Timeless um, that they will be bringing Miracle Man into the Marvel Universe in some capacity. It's not clear how, but that's a fairly big development. And And am I right in saying that Donny Cate particularly, who's one of the bigger Marvel writers at the moment, he's like, he's this insane Miracle Man fan and he's, you know, some there's some suggestion that he's maybe only still at Marvel writing Marvel comics because he's been <laughs> promised this Miracle Man, Marvel Man gig, yeah. as, as and when they can do it. So, so this presumably this whatever this is will be, it will he'll be writing it. It seems that way, yeah. Mm. And so, uh, Miracle Man in, in terms of where, so my memory of reading some Miracle Man, a uh, some. Apologies if there are any spoilers here for a comic that I half remember that came out decades <laughs> ago. Um, but like, there's it, there's some kind of twist, right? That like one of the versions of him has turned evil, or so. Is that right? Yeah, there's a young. What is it? Young Miracle Man, Kid Miracle Man, or whatever. I can't remember his name. Kid Miracle Man has um, grown up and become you know, a been slow, grown up and become corrupted and evil. Right, uh, you know they deal. To be fair, they deal with that in the Alan Moore comics. So, what is the so, so? What's the kind of status quo of this character, and why would it be interesting for him to be coming back? This is the thing, right? <laughs> why Why would it be interesting for for Miracle Man to be in the Marvel universe? The answer is, it wouldn't, it wouldn't. really. Hmm. They might come up with some good stories for it. The thing The thing about Miracle Man is. Marvel sort of has its version of Miracle Man as the Sentry, right? Which is like your your That's Superman a, so that was Neville the, character who is kind of, you know, mentally ill. And that was the thing that I kept thinking about when you were talking was the Sentry. And yeah. am I again? <laughs> am I right in thinking that whenever the Sentry has been kind of attempted to be brought into mainstream Marvel continuity, it hasn't really worked? Yeah, yeah. I well, mean, the century reason... was the century was created in Marvel. You know, the century yeah, yeah. was it's a the... was a new Sorry, Marvel character. When, when I what I mean is, when you rather than doing his kind of high concept introductory story, when sure. they've when they've tried to just make him like another one of the Marvel characters who's around, hmm. it loses that juice of why that why that century series That's is fair, yeah. so exciting. Yeah, 
basically like the the sentry's high concept works for one story and then it right. sort of you just get diminishing returns where it's not so good and that's one of the comics which i you know uh, i have kind of um that i that is most memorable for me that you've recommended on this podcast i really really enjoyed that and i've got the uh, the edition with uh, the, the the what was the the series that Seb wrote for the um, the like the Alter Ego? The, oh no, the uh, the Marvel graphic novel collection. Yes, the Marvel graphic novel collection. So I've got, and I remember I ordered that off eBay, and uh, the edition turned up, and there was Seb's words all over the front of it <laughs> as well, <laughs> which was which was an added little bonus. Um, but yeah, so I I, I guess. Is is this just a is this just a let's keep Donny Cates happy? Is that, is no, that what you're saying? I, mean, I think I think this is a we we paid a ton of money to untangle this character from his you know legal quagmire. We're not going to leave it on the shelf now, and you know we have good writers who will write stories for us. Right. Yeah, you've got you've got you know you're basically looking here at three quite major comic writing brands. One a newer one, sure, but you know. The Miracle Man is basically it's it's how Alan Moore got got famous. Got like how this was the comic that opened the doors that would turn into Watchmen and V Vendetta and all that sort of stuff. This is his mm-hmm. this is his first deconstructive sort of superhero de- de- deconstructing superhero story. That's important. Then it's then you've got the Neil Gaiman of it all, where this is a you know a kind of a story that he's been trying to, evidently trying to finish for you know whatever, <laughs> thirty years. Thing. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's then you got for that me. Piece of it, and then you got the Johnny Cakes bit, which is if this is a guy that's been thinking about Miracle Man stories for his whole career, and he's he's, I think, an exciting, good Marvel writer. There's that piece of it as well. So you just have to, I think, I think you the the least cynical version of this is the, those are. Th- I mean, obviously, Alan Moore won't have any involvement, but you know, those are three major writers, and you have to put some kind of trust that. That there's something in this character that has drawn these interesting people to work on on the character um and and maybe you know and let's hope that we get that that's what we get at the end of this yeah okay, for so- me for me the interesting news here really is that if they're gonna start using miracle men in the marvel universe there's a fairly good chance that means the the neo gaming issues which i believe have been written for quite a while are or close to being drawn and so that this year is the year that they'll put out those final few Neil Gaiman issues and then, right. you know, bring the character back into circulation with that story finished. Cool. Um, uh, James, why is this um, Why is this morally okay and different from the uh, Watchmen situation? Because <laughs> does... Marvel, Marvel bought all the rights um, legitimately. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's okay. no, one, no one was hoodwinked here. No I mean, in fairness, back in the back in the eighties, the the issues that Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman wrote were done under the assumption that the publisher had had legally um, gotten hold of the rights to the character. But it turned out that wasn't actually the case. But they've <laughs> since straightened that out with the creator Mick Anglo, okay. who has also died having sold his character to Marvel. Right. Okay. So but, we don't, you know, as as far as I'm concerned, this is all this has all been done legit and above board, and reparations were made where it wasn't. Yeah, there's a whole interesting side story about Neil Gaiman believe uh, about Todd McFarlane believing he owned the character for a while when actually he had just published a bunch of trademarks. 
and some original art, but that's uh, that was all part of what Marvel helped yeah. to untangle. And Todd McFarlane too. It's just it's it's just interesting to me that this character and this brand has wrapped up so many major names in 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 its in its history. It's just it, I don't know. There's there's got to be something there. I don't know what it is. I've read in these comics, but there's just there's something there, isn't there? It's interesting. I mean, and there's no there are no bad characters, right? I'm sure there will be good stories to be told. Oh, there are, there are with Miracle Men. Facebook <laughs> <laughs> Pete. Um, and and just just a, as a final note before we move on, just because this reminds me, uh, the other thing, obviously, that w- with what I was alluding to, with Alan Moore, there is the is the it feels like a similar kind of I don't know if I want to say gimmick, but that's the word that's in my head. A similar kind of stunt to what DC pulled with uh, with bringing the Watchmen into the DC universe for that for that big story in the last couple of years. Did that go anywhere? Was that when when that finally wrapped up? Was it any good? Did people care, or did was it just a bit of a fight in the wind? <laughs> Reese, have you got any perspective on that? Because I think no, basically you know. people didn't really care. <laughs> I think my memory of it, I read like I think I read like two issues. I, m- I remember thinking it was it was um, it felt like a bit of a Jeff Johns just trying to do Watchmen, but 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 sort of you know failing a bit in terms of the style of it. Um, whereas actually he probably should have right. just tried to write a Jeff Johns comic. Um, but I think the, I think that the, the problem was the back, there was backlash, you know, based, there was lots of whinging from fans. Fine. But then also the story, the story <laughs> just ended up was supposed to, it was 12 issues. So it's already long and it ended up coming out over like, yeah. over like 18 months or longer. And it's, it, so, and, and because it was sort of connected to the, to the current timeline, but it was in the future or so it, I, I, I think it just, by the end of it, it was all a bit muddled and, it, and what was supposed to, whatever was supposed to, it was supposed to land with. And I think also that times with Jeff Johns just slightly getting transitioned out of his status in, you know, as one of the lead writers for DC stuff. So that was happening in the, at the same time. So perhaps whatever, whatever vision he had for the, the DC, the DC comics sort of set up at the end of, Doomsday Clock. He wasn't then in the in yeah. in a position to make that happen. I mean, it feels so, like uh, it feels like classic Jeff, DC shenanigans. It feels yeah. like Jeff Johns has been soft cancelled as well, right? Yeah, is he? Uh, he's doing something somewhere, right? Does he write any comics anymore, James? Uh, no, not yes. really. Put it that no. way. Yeah, yeah, I think soft cancelled is right. Yeah. Okay, uh, so that was uh, that was the Miracle Man stuff. Uh, we're now going to move on uh, to uh, the comic book movie and TV news. Um, we're going to start off with some news on a movie that I have not seen: Spider Man <laughs> No Way Home. Um, so. Um, a few things around this. So obviously, we're going to talk non-spoilers for my benefit and no one else's. Mm-hmm. I'm, sure, I'm sure all of our listeners so, have seen this movie. Me and me and James have me and James have seen it, uh, yeah. but yeah, Joe hasn't. I'm, I, I'm yeah. still intending to see it. Um, it I've uh, seen it twice. Yeah, I did. Um, I did not want to have to ring up uh, my daughter's grandparents at Christmas and say, "Sorry, I can't come to see you because I went to see Spider-Man and now I have COVID." Uh, so. <laughs> So, um, Christmas out of the way, I'm hoping to see it, um, in, in the next couple of days, if I can. Um, and then obviously we will have a main episode coming out on it. Uh, but the, the news around the movie is that it has made an absolute crap ton of money. Um, 
it, I think w- within like its first weekend was already the highest grossing movie of 2021 and 2020. Um, obviously there's big Pando in there that you've got to, you've got to bear in mind, but, um, that's, uh, that's still pretty notable. Um, it then passed a billion dollars worldwide after its second weekend. Um, there is talk that Sony are going to run a best picture campaign for it at, um, at the Oscars and, um, and then kind of all kinds of speculation about where the franchise goes from here and, and who, and, and whether, whether it's going to be in the MCU, whether Tom Holland's going to be coming back. And I think after this performance, the answer to all of that will be, yes, Tom Holland is coming back. Yes, Spider-Man will re- remain to be in the MCU because, um, shit, look what, look what this why, has done financially. Why mess with the formula, yeah. yeah. Um, thoughts is this uh let's 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 go go through those in reverse order future of the mc future of spider-man in the mcu happy for spider-man to continue with tom holland and for it to be an mcu thing i i don't see any reason to argue against that yes and this is this one's hard this one's hard to talk about because of the plot of the movie so yeah but i will say yes yes excited uh Yes, good. <laughs> um, best, best, Sorry, best picture campaign. Give me, give me your thoughts. Is that nonsense? Absolute or? nonsense. No chance. Uh, I'm, I'm not as no chance. I mean, I just think that people really love this movie. Uh, I'm not critics, but but normal people love. It, this I movie. mean, it hasn't done bad critically though, has it? It's not been 100. percent Yeah. Yeah, but um, and like, got... what Oscars are we talking about here? Well, no, hold on. You've got. Don't, don't forget, you have an enforced. Uh, there has to be 10 um, Best Picture nominees this year. That's a change from last year. Mm-hmm. So there will be 10 nominees. Um, I, you've got stuff, you know, I think a lot of people were looking at West Side Story as kind of a uh, an obvious Plot. choice for like, oh, it'll be a big hit, yeah. uh, big Hollywood Spielberg, the numbers, and then it's just been a bit of a, a bit of a bomb so far at least. And I don't know, I could, I, I could definitely see, I could see... Uh, you know, a campaign, you know, cause remember the, it's voted on by people that work in Hollywood and it's, this is a, this is a good news story for lots of people, lots of employees of, in Hollywood, the, the amount of money that this movie's made. Yeah. You've got the kind of Omicron stuff, like turning some, you know, making p- people p- feel a bit bummed out once more about this whole industry, you know, right now in this moment. And I, so I could see a scenario where in a month or so, or when ballots are going in, you know, enough people go, hey, listen, I didn't, you know, it wasn't my favorite movie of the year, but I'll put it on my ballot for best picture somewhere. I'll put it at eight or nine. And yeah. all of a sudden it, enough people have done that. It, it can break through that list. And then I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it's got any chance to win that that award. And I'm yes. not saying it's got any chance to to pick up anything more than, I guess, a couple of technical awards, probably. Right. Maybe who knows a sound, uh, obviously visual effects. I'm not saying it's got any chance for any of the other ones, but but I, that scenario I could see, and I could see it breaking into the tent. I could. And, there, you know, there, there, there does tend to be a blockbuster. You're right that, well, not not a blockbuster, but a movie that has done well financially. Um, and, yeah, maybe there's room in there for Dune and Spider-Man. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Two Zendayas. I was going to say, good news for Zendaya. <laughs> Um, and, and I think I think it leaves you. I just think the movie. Le- I mean, I've seen it with my um, with my with friends and with my family as well. My younger sisters, and there's just I've just seen it with you know without 
my view is a little different from them, but I just feel like there's something, it's just really, is a, it really makes you feel good, I think, coming out of it. A lot like normal people will leave yeah. feeling really good about what they've just seen and about films. And I, I just think if there are enough Academy voters that that, that connects with, um, that can't, that shouldn't be discounted. Whereas actually something like a West Side Story or a Dune, that those endings are a bit more, uh, a bit more complicated, I think. Um, um, and to tie this then into the into the money side, because I do think that the money more than anything is the reason why, um, yeah, for sure, why this is being talked about. Um, I I I can't lie when from from looking at the box office of Spider Man No Way Home since it's been released. It'll be really interesting how the industry reads it, you know, from an Oscar point of view, because you can say from one perspective, okay, this is the success story. The flip side of that is it has trampled all competition to the point to the point that, you know, West Side Story is an enormous flop, partly because of Spider-Man. Um Nightmare Alley basically basically doesn't exist. Doesn't <laughs> exist. Couldn't get started. And then you look at okay, Spider Man in its second third weekend of release is grossing seven times the amount that the Matrix Resurrections is. Yeah, that's so. That's another blockbuster. The King, the King's Man, made next to no money. Um, Sing Two, a kids a kids movie is which you know the first one was really successful is doing okay, but particularly that that first weekend that Spider Man came out, it made in the US two hundred and sixty million dollars. Its next closest competitor was Encanto, which made six million, and then after that you've got West Side Story at three, Ghostbusters Afterlife at three, Nightmare Alley in its first week of release two, House of Gucci two. And you, it, I, I mean, again, I say it's this, staggering. I, I it's say, kind of staggering. Yeah, and I say this with the caveat that I like this kind of shit. You know, I do like Marvel movies, um, but I mean, it it really does feel like there is a there is a chance of this kind of you know dystopian cinema future where. You know the block, but the block, the, where you know the mainstream cinema are Disney movies, and then there is an art house, and there's nothing in between. Because if Steven Spielberg remaking West Side Story can't make a dent, then you know there is a, there's just huge swathes of movies of types of movies that won't get made anymore for theatrical distribution. I've it's, it's tough, like, though, isn't it? Right, because because. I don't think it was pure marketing that got people into the cinema. It's not like Disney crowded out the idea. It was that people were excited for this movie and it turned out to be really good. I also, I mean, a couple of things there. West Side Story, I, mean, I won't, maybe I won't touch on that. The, Ma- the Matrix, like they just fucked up. A, that's, that almost speaks to the, the big mistake that Warner Brothers made of, of that crazy commitment to release every single movie on HBO Max. Yeah, uh, definitely. Date, date. That was definitely. just a mistake. I and then believe oh, the numbers for Resurrections when I saw them. After having made like, that mistake, they should, have, they should have moved the date. I mean, the, the idea that Matrix comes out a week after Spider-Man, that was, that was just a bad, that's a mistake. That was a bad release date. They're both 
you know, they're both basically nostalgia plays for similar for a similar audience. Yeah, and to be I mean, clear, I thought Resurrections was a really great film and I enjoyed it a lot. But had I been going to the cinema once, there's no question that would have gone yeah. to Spider-Man. <laughs> but the other thing is, I do think this, I think this this movie, the Spider-Man movie, is a special case. It's not sort of you know because if you look at some of the other Marvel releases this year. They haven't done this, you know. This is this, and this, the other Spider-Man no. movies didn't do this. I think this is, I, I think this is a bit of an exceptional thing yeah, with, I, you, I was with gonna, the nature of I was it make and that point as well. You say which that is, though, uh, but the the US box office currently, the top five. Oh, well, let's in fact let's do the top ten uh, for the year. Spider-Man: No Way Home is number one. Shang-Chi is number two. Venom is number three. Black Widow is four. All of those beat out uh, Fast 9, which is 5. Eternals comes in at 6, then Bond at 7, and then it's a quiet place, free guy in Ghostbusters Afterlife. Like, the the Marvel movies are outperforming other blockbusters now. They're outperforming other Disney movies as well, though. (sighs) Yeah, but I I guess Disney has... The stuff that it was having great success with at the cinema prior to this, um, they're now, you know, they're dropping Cruella onto um, <laughs> streaming. Yeah. Onto streaming, like would would Cruella be up there in the top five or six if it, you know, if it wasn't for um, if it if it wasn't for Disney Plus? I don't know. But there I, is, yeah, there is. I, I will make another point, you know, from that list you just given. If those, let's say, those movies didn't exist or went or went streaming day and day or or all got pumped next year or something, you know, actually what, what, what the cinemas go, go out of business, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, like you kind of, you, on one hand, you're saying at this dystopian future where it's just the Disney movies that get people to cinemas and then there's art house movies. Well, sure. But if, what, if, if we're in a different reality where they aren't this level of success, Maybe cinemas are, you know, maybe cinemas don't exist. Because yeah, it's, it's no, no, nothing's driving people out to cinemas. So, it's really you know. difficult to track because of COVID, right? Sure, that's that that makes it that makes it really complicated. But then I would say, okay, let's look back to 2019, the last year before COVID. You have number one, Avengers Endgame, becoming the record-breaking release of all time. Number two, The Lion King. Number three, Frozen Two. Number four, Spider-Man Far From Home. Number five, Captain Marvel. Uh, number six, breaks things up with Joker, but is a comic book movie at another studio. <laughs> Seven is Disney. It's episode nine, Rise of Skywalker. Eight is Toy Story 4. Nine is Aladdin. And then 10 is Jumanji, the next level. And that's that's worldwide, by the way. So that's, you know, that's eight of the top 10 of Disney movies. As something like seven, you know, the everything's a franchise it's yeah i i I just i i i've you know i i just you know when you're hearing some of the conversations around this the the edges of cinema and you know like a filmmaker like david fincher talking about being (laughs) finding it difficult to find funding to get a movie out um I don't know if it's the fault of the superhero movies, and, and 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 I don't actually think it's a it's a thing to apportion blame to, but I do worry that when we go to the cinema in the future, um, basically you're gonna want to you're gonna watch something that costs either less than five million dollars to make or more than two hundred, and, and this is coming out of the other side of the pandemic. So it's not pointing it's not pointing fingers because yeah, I think you're right. 
right now would would that two hundred and eighty million dollars or whatever it is that um that Spider Man took in the US, would that have gone to West Side Story and Nightmare Alley instead? No, I don't think so. But some of it would have done. Some of it would have done. You know, the, the, this, this, <laughs> the age of superheroes, it will end at some point, I think. And I, don't, and I, I couldn't, I wouldn't, I, I couldn't, I wasn't, I wouldn't be willing to predict when that would happen. But, you know, there might be, a, it might be that in 20 years we look back and we lament, we lament, oh my God, remember when they used to make, you know, $200 million superhero movies 20 years ago? That was cool. So, Perhaps rather than doomsay the future, let's let's you know try. Hey, listen, we, <laughs> we can't we can't control we me, the three of us can't actually control any of this stuff. So you know, again, I think about my family's faces when we left Spider Man and that sort of joy that they had in in the, in the movie. You know, with, without my kind of cynical uh, eyes through it, I you know, I, there's there was nothing this year that that could of could that had offered them that at the cinema, and they would you know. Yeah, that, that's you can't. It's just undeniable, uh, and and may, and perhaps we're too in the cold face to, to to see it through normal people's eyes. But people, just the Spider-Man movie in particular, people just love this movie. People love yeah, it. Like and, the thing, the thing I would say about Spider-Man, right, is that people people who haven't seen the previous two are telling me they want to go and see it because they're interested and because they've heard good things. Yeah, like people. I think my brother like wait for shang chi on streaming like i don't think watched i definitely didn't watch eternals didn't watch black widow but you know you get people saying like oh i'm actually i'm going to see that one yeah um my wife my wife said to me um that she wanted to see it and i was like but you didn't watch the last one she went oh, i didn't <laughs> so i was like right okay <laughs> i mean is, the, the thing for me that. is that this is doing sort of end game type money mm. yeah because because it's got a sort of end game type event around it and people were just ready for that. Um I'm I'm mostly out of anything the thing I take away from this is oh good those people still are coming to cinemas. Cuz my my predictions for box offices post pandemic were a lot grimmer than this. I was like they're never going to make a 100 million dollar superhero movie again cuz it's just never going to just never going to make that money at the box office. But and Turns I think out you know it look, is possible. If you look at the Marvel slate next year, like you know, again, this is we're. I'm, I reckon we're two or three years away from a, a an MCU movie performing like this. This is a sort of an aberration, uh, you know, a kind of movie that happens every five years. And it, but I probably it just so happens that those the Avengers: Infinity War and Endgame one two we kind of that, you know that was only a few years ago. But this is these are these are special cases. These movies were the the, the, the ones in the conversation here. And next year, I don't think you know. I don't. I don't think you're going to get a billion dollars for spite for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But hey, <laughs> I've been wrong before. <laughs> hey, but let's let's talk about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That was because, a segue, by the um, way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as uh, as uh, I did, I did think it was really funny how literally the like the the moment that you would have had enough time to watch the final episode of Hawkeye, uh, it, it was. 
And here is the new trailer for the next Marvel thing you should be interested in. Uh, it's Doctor Strange mm-hmm. and the Multiverse of Madness. I wonder whether now, rather than like it being tight for them, for Marvel, rather than it being tied to new releases, it's like, look, we we can only build hype for so many projects at one time. So let's let this thing, let's let that thing finish before we put a trailer out for that thing. It's not, it's not, okay, we're three <laughs> months out, we're two months out. It's... We we can build hype for X amount of things at a time, and now that that one is gone, here is this one. Joe, yeah. do you know where the trailer for Doctor Strange Two first aired? Oh well, uh, yeah, I'm presuming if in front of uh, Spider Man. It's actually the final post credits thing for Spider Man. Oh, there's right, no okay. second post credit scene. It's just the trailer for Doctor Strange Two. Weird, weird. I guess not. Yeah, I mean, that was an makes... exciting. It was an exciting time to see it. <laughs> I was a bit like, I only, I literally just finished watching Spider Man. Let me think about that before I start thinking about this. <laughs> that is, but also, you know what? that is hilarious. Good, good trailer. For, for, for anyone, for anyone that accuses Marvel projects of just being trailers for the next thing they're releasing, <laughs> they literally <laughs> drop a trailer on the end. Oh, I don't want to watch yep. a trailer at the end of a movie. Right. Well, you, now you don't have to. You can just leave after the mid-credits scene when you see it, Joe. They, they, we've done the, that favour. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. So the, the the Doctor Strange trailer drops, and um, I, I, I guess what surprised me most, guys, was that um, was that it felt as much like a Doctor Strange sequel rather than a rather than a, another thing. Like I thought the fact that I mean this was my fist punch moment for it. The fact that Chewie was there in it with his new haircut, I was like, oh okay, right. So we are we are continuing on from the threads in the first <laughs> we film. We are picking rather, up that thread, yeah. Rather than rather than just throwing all of this all of that away and going, we do multiverses now. <laughs> I was gonna say I do wonder um how much of that is going to be in the film and how much is going to be, let's get this out of the way in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. A little bit Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Let's, let's get all of our plot stuff done now. So in in this trailer, we get, um, we get, we get Wanda coming in and there is a, 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 a scene that, <laughs> that I make me giggle where he walks up to her and she goes, Oh, you hear about that thing? And he goes, Nah, I don't, I don't care about that thing. Uh, <laughs> Westview, Westview, what are you, what are you talking about? Oh, it was a thing that happened on Disney Plus. I'm a movie actor. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not interested in your Disney Plus nonsense. I'm here for different reasons. Um, <laughs> Which uh, I mean, I would. I obviously think it's going to follow up on some of the threads in the in from One Division, particularly the kids, but and and her new power set. Um, but I don't think the events of One Division um, are going to be anything more than kind of like first acts. Let's put down the plot points. Yeah, I think that's fair. Nor should they be. Did they did they use the word multiverse in one division in the it, it, I can't remember at the end in the finale There's nexus of realities stuff there isn't there certainly uh, sure yeah um but yes yeah, so I think I think that's the, the 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 main the main thing that we're setting up here is that wanders along for the adventure and we obviously know that her 
her mo is the kids uh there's yeah there's she she's wearing her cool new costume wong's around mordo's around and then i really interestingly i thought was that we have got some kind of like dark doctor strange stuff that really feels like it is um hewing quite closely to that what if episode and I do wonder whether this movie was originally supposed to come out before that What If episode. I mean, it certainly makes you wonder, doesn't it? (laughs) Whether that What If episode was intended to be backstory for a character who appeared in this movie. Hmm. And if we... Because remind me, how how does What If leave the, the evil Doctor Strange? It leaves the evil Doctor Strange in his own little reality bubble... Until mm. until he until returns the finale, in yeah. semi heroic sense in the finale. But then, how does it leave him in the finale? That, that he's he hel- he just helps out. But he's he's around in his un- in his universe again in the finale yeah. at the end of the finale. Doesn't everyone go back to their own universe at the end? Maybe or does he stay in the nexus of realities? Maybe I can't remember. Actually, we should we should rewatch this before we watch Doctor Strange. <laughs> no, that's just what they want. That's what they want. Yeah, they got us. <laughs> um, um, but I, I mean, I think I think that well, my pres- this is going to. I'm sure that this is the character from that cartoon, which which it, which by itself is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Because also, I'll just throw it in here now. I put in the new, one of the news stories that there's a there's a Captain Carter comic book, you know, just just comic book. But I yeah, I think that again, that sort of both these bits play to what we talked about with What If, which is, you know, that that maybe the, the likelihood now is actually much higher that all this stuff finds its way into into live action mm. in various ways, um, which I guess is yeah, is cool. I don't know, is that is it cool? Sure. <laughs> Maybe. Is that is you know is that is are we excited if this movie is? Yeah, you know, I wonder who the villain is in this movie. Is is it Dark Doctor Strange? Is it Mordo? Is it Wanda? I it's it's sort of I feel like we know we know less now than we we did before the before the trailer dropped. What on, if it's on who on what the story is? You know, what's the story? Who's the bad guy? What's happening? <laughs> or just if it's if it's Doctor Strange, full stop. That would be cool. More, more do- certainly be certainly be on brand. Mordo, the the religious zealot who's like, you keep fucking with this stuff. Stop fucking with it. I need to stop you. Um, and I have dreadlocks now. Um, <laughs> the uh, America Chavez is in this trailer as well. Um, we don't know much about the character in this, so we can save that talk for probably when she gets a bigger spotlight in the second trailer. Um, someone well, I didn't a see a huge guy. amount of. Is a tentacle guy. Someone I didn't see a huge amount of was Sam Raimi. Yeah, he got like bodied a bit, didn't he? He uh, not even a not even something in the text, you know, from the director of I don't know Spider Man Two. <laughs> yeah, maybe right. The, from the director the best... of the Spider Man films. Yeah, yeah. The director of Friggin' Evil Dead. The director of Oz the Great and Powerful. Come on, you know, you know. Do, but then, but then... trumpet the director in their sure. movies, right? Uh, did you? I, I, I guess. Yes, his name wasn't there, but did you see much Sam Raimi in this trailer? Just looked like another Marvel thing to me. Yes, hundred percent. To the to the point um, that an, another bus is being flung down the street. Let's <laughs> call it with the buses, Marvel. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I thought it's. I think it's. I, I, I mean, I guess it's to preserve surprises, but 
I found it interesting that we, you know, we sort of, you know, Marvel haven't put Raimi out to do any interviews for, you know, for for Strange or really for Spider Man now at this moment. Um, but there's, you know, there's also aren't there those sort of, you know, there are those rumors that, you know, what if the Strange reshoots are sort of so extensive that that maybe Raimi you know, maybe is Raimi particularly in charge? You know, was he ever in charge, right? Isn't it? It's it's Feige and it's Alonso and it's the it's the EPs really that are running the show. But I yeah, I kind of wonder if again, it, it, yeah, there's no men, you know, they don't mention him. It doesn't feel very Raimi esque. You know, he definitely is a director with with a a visual style. You know, always a, quite a quite a set sense of a visual style. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, but also it's a teaser trailer. It's a teaser trailer that drops at you know, as we've discussed, at the end of the Spider-Man movie. So perhaps oh. you know, if there's a film that that uh, you know, if, if the, maybe they, they there's a trait they they cut a trailer that is a good follow-up to what you've just seen, the style of the Spider-Man movie you've just seen, and there's lots of other Raimi stuff that they're they're holding back for a Feb, for a February trailer, you know. Um, who, who's who's who can say? Yeah, they, I, I do think the first Marvel trailers at the moment do tend to be pretty poor and non-plot specific. So, yeah. Um, let's let's move over to uh, another Spider-Man film. Uh, we got the first teaser for um, the Spider-Verse sequel, which we now know is going to be called Across the Spider-Verse Brackets Part One. Um, mm. So a sequel, um, a title that's uh, riffing on a Beatles track. So uh, <laughs> all the old white dudes like me will still be interested. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I um, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful for this movie based on the first one. I, I don't think this show does a huge amount other than it's still going to look really distinct and um the characters we like from the first one are coming back um but yeah i i, I you know some of the characters no, yes. peter b parker in this trailer um yeah well he'll Sp- be in it right spider gwen and miles are back and you know we we like them um and yeah, I don't. I, I don't know too much more to say about this, other than I get. I, I was a little bit worried by the part one, thinking like, are they trying to be too ambitious with this? But like, I probably shouldn't advise the people who made the first one of these movies to be less ambitious. So, <laughs> although yeah. it's different, it's different directors, right? Yes, isn't that right? Yeah, that is right. I think I animation, want, you know, animation directions are sort of different beasts, no, though, right? There were three directors on the first movie, yes, because so. it is Lord and Miller again with the script, and they're they're producing as well, I presume. So there's that's if that's a big creative kind of leader on the first one, then that's a good yeah. sign. I do, I do think uh, though, that I, these I think... these movies, that these big animated movies, are by their nature just more collaborative. It's very, it's it's a lot more. Di- you know, I I don't think that Lord and Miller have the stamp on the first Spider Verse movie that they do on a lot of their work. Um, it doesn't feel as much mm. of a Lord and Miller join as you know most of the other stuff they produce. But you know, their involvement I think is always a positive. Um, one thing I will say, you know, back to the back to the money of No Way Home of it all. I do what, wa- wonder and worry. You know, uh, Sony have 
have always shown a slight, <laughs> uh, you know, a desire to to chase the Spider-Man dollar, you know, when it when it when it's whenever possible Mm -hmm. and i do what i sort of wonder with the huge no way home numbers and and the you know the part one of this sequel whether and obviously you've got you know venom 2 did pretty well morbius comes out in feb you kind of just wonder you know you've got the feige doing what he wants to do sure but you know amy pascal will surely now be the pressure will will mount for just more more you know Mm -hmm. and i and that wonder whether that that will that will have its detriments although you know yeah maybe it's maybe morbius will stink but so far so far so good (laughs) right those better movies are fun we like all the spider-man mcu use spider-verse is incredible so so far so good but maybe next year is when morbius stinks and this movie feels you know feels overextended uh and they they announce so yeah and uh, we're gonna do amazing spider-man 3 with toby Maguire, and we're doing uh you know, we're doing a Sinister Six movie and all this kind of crap comes back around. I don't know. The thing, the thing I thought when I saw part one was that weren't they at one point they said we're developing a Spider Verse sequel and also a Gwen spinoff. Oh mm. yeah, I think there was. And I think kind of what happened was someone went, "Why would we make a Spider Gwen spinoff that would do worse? Why don't we just make two Spider Verse movies?" Mm. And maybe, maybe make her more central. Yeah. So I think maybe maybe like Spider Verse Part Two has a more prominent role for her, or maybe she's more prominent overall in the story. I think I th- I feel like it's going to be more of a focus on her and Miles. Of course, played by uh, you know the wonderful Hedy Steinfeld, who yeah. we'll talk about later. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then let's talk about the final trailer uh, that was released over the Christmas period. Uh, this was uh, the Batman. Uh, with our bats and um, yeah, this uh, this is kind of uh, more of what we more of what we saw the first time around. Even though what we saw the first time around was like three weeks worth of footage. Um, <laughs> I, I I am I I don't know. I I'm struggling to get hyped for this movie because. I'm not seeing like something distinctly different from what I've seen from Batman before, but I, I guess for a lot of people that won't be a problem. But are you guys seeing it? Are you guys seeing the take? Because I'm not yet. I think uh, expecting a distinct take on Batman is asking for uh, <laughs> asking for something more than the cinematic division of Warner is interested in. But are you excited yeah. for this movie? Is that is that like? No, but I'm never excited for Batman movies, so <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. It's a Batman movie; it's so hard to get wrong. I was a lot more excited after the first. Tra- I thought the first trailer just had a lot of you know. If, if we want to talk about, we just talked about the um the the, the strange trailer and how it it all looked a bit boring. I thought the first Batman trailer just looked really interesting, sort of cool, interesting, and uh, filled with more visual stuff than 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 these movies normally have in them or at least in the trailers and this yeah i didn't feel like this brought this further things along anymore on that and but also similarly i didn't feel like i got a sense of a more sense of what the plot was so yeah i'm kind of with you joe i although i I definitely was i was properly excited by that first trailer and this one yeah slightly it's just a slightly more boring trailer really um 
But the the one I don't know about you, James. Did, did you read? Either of you read the Tom King Batman run? Uh, like uh, bits of it, like the like the very think... start of it. <laughs> that that whole run is one of my favorite recent comic book runs from either publisher. And there were just a couple of scenes in this trailer that remind that sort of I thought were. I thought was perhaps referencing the Batman Catwoman emotional mm-hmm. spine that is so important to that series. And I just, just back in my head, I wondered, Oh, okay. If, if that is an influence on this, you know, which I don't think that anyone said that it is, but if that is, then, okay, that's, that's uh, that could be interesting. And, you know, and actually the, the Batman Catwoman dynamic hasn't, you know, Joe, you back to sort of what's new, what could be new about this, that, even though we've had two versions of Catwoman before and obviously a solo film that is great. Uh, <laughs> we, that's a dynamic that I don't, that probably could do with some, you know, that is worth exploring and perhaps that's this movie, perhaps. Yeah. I guess that the thing that I keep coming back to with it is because I, I like the Robert Pattinson casting. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see if, if he has got anything interesting to see with the character. Um, I think it's just Matt Reeves is someone who I I just feel like I'm constantly being told he's interesting rather than necessarily connecting with his movies. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know if I think I'm probably in a minority opinion there, but he just, he's never really uh, coalesced for me as a filmmaker. And I, I don't know if I am, super hyped for the Matt Reeves take, you know? Kind of kind of I less mean, less so than I even would have been for the when the, when this was gonna be a bat a Ben Affleck Batfleck movie. <laughs> you know, when he was gonna uh, write and direct it. Yeah, but I, I mean I'd I'd rather uh, you know I I'm more excited for Matt Reeves take on superhero x than john watts's take on the fantastic oh, four you know yes, that is that is definitely true yes so there's and, and i really like those h movies and those are for me a very interesting like sort of modern take on a on a franchise that, that felt felt like it might be hard to do to you know uh, in modern yeah. times and we those movies are great. We are going to need to move on now because I don't want to get James started on those apes movies. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, I think probably just uh, a couple of little bits to mention as we as, as we transition from the news. Um, there's been a HBO Max um, Penguin spin-off series confirmed. Uh, so oh, for fuck's sake. Colin, <laughs> Colin Farrell getting that money i guess that obviously not turned <laughs> off enough by having to sit in that makeup for longer Jesus um Christ. uh shang chi <laughs> 2 has been confirmed which isn't a surprise and um then i think one just to keep on the back burner we'll probably discuss in more detail uh on, on our next main feed episode um there, there are there are questions around what is happening with Wakanda Forever, um, and uh, we obviously had our conspiracy theories the first time round. Um, is that film going to be released this year and meet its uh, release date? I would I would question, but we'll um, we'll dig into that at a later date. Um, so that was this week's comic book movie and TV news. We will move on now um, to our discussion of the series finale and then uh, the broader series of. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. 
And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay. Okay, welcome to a bonus Patreon edition of Cinematic Universe where we discuss Hawkeye. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, we're talking um, episode six of Hawkeye first, uh, and which we'll you know we'll use the springboard to get into all of our um, all of our kind of more uh, big takes on the series. Um, we thought we'd combine this into one, partly because of the delays over Christmas with recording it, and also. Um, I don't know about you guys. I feel like there aren't there aren't as many kind of like um, big stand back and assess the series takeaways at the end of it. I kind of feel like of all of the Marvel shows, this was the one which it was what it was from episode one through to episode six. It kind of it kind of I thought it was fairly consistent. I thought episode two was weak, but apart from that, I thought it was fairly consistent start to finish and. Uh, in spite of a, a couple of revelations or it from marvelly stuff in there it didn't really it didn't really deviate too much from what i thought it was going to be after episode 1 no i think that's fair i think that's fair I, yeah i think it but also i think it makes it um you know, a bit less of a roller coaster than some of the other shows. At least, personally, for me, I felt, as you say, for, after for about good, episode two, good you... and bad. <laughs> sure, yeah, I think for me, most for me, more good. I think um, I, yeah, you, it, I just knew what I was going to be getting, and 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 there was therefore a, a, a nice, consistent level of enjoyment that I expected and received, and in a sort of a nice transactional way, walked away satisfied, including for the finale. <laughs> Um, whereas I just, I just remember feeling much more, much more forlorn. No, that's way too wanky word. You know, just more, just a more annoyed and pissed off at like the Loki finale or in some ways the WandaVision finale. I mean, although I think you guys like that more than I did or 
Um, yeah, whereas this was like, yeah, okay, but bish bash bosh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I think I the, I it's, it's, it's to go back to WandaVision there, which I still do think is the most successful of these Disney Plus shows. I think the finale was a little bit more by the numbers than I wanted it to be, but I, I thought it nailed its big emotional moments, which was, uh, and it kind yeah, of it nailed, it nailed its final Wanda and Vision scenes, which was important. Um, sure. I think this feels closer to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier finale in that it is essentially one big fight centered around a building in New York. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think it, it, it felt like it had more plot stuff to pay off in reality. It didn't. Um, I, I, I think James and I got caught up in the, in the standards doing a little bit of over speculation and over trying to explain what it was going for. Um, but I, I think for its, for its lack of, for its lack of kind of plot that it was doing in its final episode, I think it also kind of lacked kind of the big cathartic emotional moments because, uh, because I, I just don't think the series invested strongly enough in them as we went along. And I don't think it, I don't think it grappled enough with its central conceit of is Hawkeye a good guy? <laughs> um, and the, yeah, the that's answer, definitely, the, Go on, James. Well, go, yeah, go on. You finish. I was just. I. I, I think that the, the answer in the finale is he wasn't a good guy for that for that specific five year period. He did all of the bad things that you thought he did, um, but we like him now, and we liked him before, and you didn't actually see any of that. So don't worry about it. <laughs> this is the this is the thing I felt right was that I got to the end of the story and I sort of thought. They nailed the plot beats they were aiming for, which was like, we need to introduce Kate Bishop and we need to make her, you know, Hawkeye's understudy or whatever. But the actual emotional component of the storytelling, they didn't pay much more than lip service to. And I just spent the whole finale thinking like, I don't really care what happens here. it feels like a ball is rolling downhill and I'm sitting there going, well, at some point it's going to reach the bottom. I think that, I, and Reese, it'd be interesting to get your take on this, given that you, you know, it's, James and I have been discussing this on Patreon week in, week out. Um, it felt for me like the the Clint stuff was just, it was flawed from its conception because they wanted to do all of the Ronin stuff. And I think that, you know, because that was uh, that was convenient on a number of plot levels previously that explained where Clint was when he wasn't in Infinity War. Um, it, it gave him a different edge in that movie. It gave him the emotional catharsis at the end of Endgame. It's a new uh, action so, figure to sell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all of all of that stuff was set up over to the side, and then doing this series felt like it had to pay that off. And also, it's convenient because it gives it gives Clint this kind of reckoning with his past kind of stuff. Whereas at the same time, we're doing the introducing Kay and her kind of seeing him as some aspirational mentor. I kind of feel like you could I, I, you could take the Ronin stuff completely out of it and just and get the the good part of the resolution of the finale, which is 
Clint learns to be a mentor. Um, Kate learns to be a superhero. Um, yeah, you know, he kind of has that like dad like pride in her. All of that is resolved and, and just ig- ignore the Ronin stuff or just not, or just, or, or even if you need to just wreck on it completely, just wreck on it because it doesn't, it doesn't reconcile with this character and the character they're depicting in the show and a character who gets forgiven by everyone around him. Um, it, I, I, I just don't think the, the, the Ronin stuff tracks in this series at all. But I get, uh, yeah, I guess why they need it, if you're looking at it as a sort of a puzzle board, you know, and this was what we talked about this before the show ever aired, that the the comics, the, you know, this comic story they're adapting, the kind of Hawkeye is this sort of uh, slightly grumpy mentor to uh, to Kate Bishop. That that That's in place because of the sort of single man Hawkeye bit in down in the dumps version in the comics, whereas you probably you just needed a stronger motivator for him at the beginning of the series to do any of this right if you've if you've got him family man hawkeye forget the ronin stuff and kate bishop's there and like he i just don't think he would that's not enough of a motivation to help her and that's then that's the tricky bit right how do you that i, I wonder whether that's that's in the writers room that's what they came to that he just needed he needed a really strong motivator to to kind of do the MacGuffin stuff that happened to also involve kate bishop and they got to Ronin, but I, I mean, I agree with you, but uh, I just don't know how, yeah, I kind of, I'm struggling to, to, to square that circle without yeah, something. But, there, but you know, that, and, and this is, this is part of the challenge for all these Marvel projects that, you know, when you're sitting down to make a Hawkeye TV show, you have the baggage that you're coming into it with. You're having the baggage of what you need to set up and what you need to leave by the end of it. Um, and I, and I think they do a much better job with the end of it than the start of it, if you know what I mean. They do a, mm-hmm. lot, a much better job with the stuff that they are uh, that they're pumping out of this series to be used in, in future stuff. So obviously I think Kate Bishop, Hayley Steinfeld is a huge success. And um, I, I think actually the, the relationship that, they, that they've established here that I think is probably going to be the most fertile ground in the future of the MCU is Yelena and Kate. Um, and you know they so they they got all of that stuff right. Um, yeah, and had some fun along the way. It just uh, you know it. I I just don't think I can hold this up there as you know the best Disney Plus show. And you know I I, I would put it above Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I'd put it above Loki. But those are two series I didn't really like, and I think that this one mm. kind of. It it was fine. I thought throughout. It was fine. Fine. One one bad episode. One really good episode, and then four that just kind of were like, yeah, they're, they're okay. The thing, the thing I keep coming back to is, does Marvel just not know how to make TV? Because we were promised like, oh, these are going to be good, not like the Netflix ones, and actually they're a lot closer in tone and in resolution to the Netflix shows. I mean, obviously, um, this one has something fairly sizable in one pretty big connection yeah but it did (laughs) before that happened this felt like the the most netflix showy of them yeah and the the thing i keep coming back to is like they don't they don't work for me as week-to-week projects so like i i tend not to finish one division is the exception here right when episode one division finished i couldn't wait to put the next one on like even even though it wasn't all gold like I was excited episode to episode. Yeah. 
Whereas Hawkeye, I was just like, I feel five minutes into the first episode, I just sort of knew where this was heading. Like it just, it, I feel like they've got a lot of work to do to make these, especially because they're as good as the movies, like to make them match up with that. And I think as well, so to, to zero back in on the finale, I think the finales have been universally across the shows, kind of some of the weakest stuff they've done across the run of each of those series. Like I, I would probably have this episode like ranked fourth or fifth of the Hawkeye episodes. Um, I, the, the Loki one, obviously, it was either it either worked for you or it didn't. Falcon the Winter Soldier finale was a was a clusterfuck, and the um, the the, the uh, One Division finale, I think, you know, had some good stuff in it, but wasn't up there with some of the really fun sitcomy stuff that they were doing earlier on. And it, it does, it does, uh, you know, the vibe certainly that I'm getting from Marvel TV is we do plot up to the final episode and then the final episode is an, is an action scene with a coda. But uh, there is, uh, there's, I think there is still lots to talk about in this episode, and uh, we should, we should do that, and we should do that chronologically. Well, we, should talk, we need to talk about the big. Yeah, we need to talk about the big white elephant in the room. Oh my god, <laughs> such a big white elephant! So uh, we we get our previously on, and then straight away after speculating about whether he would be back or not, how sizable a role he would play in this finale. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, I, I think what's the what's the best word? Clomps back in, um, wades <laughs> back in uh, to the to the Marvel universe. Um, to sit down and have a conversation with Eleanor Bishop. Um, I would say, in terms of my expectations for the D'Onofrio Kingpin, um, I'm glad that it is basically the same depiction, the same performance, that D'Onofrio is still bringing the kind of same ticks to the way he delivers dialogue and um, the sense that there is so much more going on below the surface than just this. That uh, he doesn't feel like a standard mob boss, does he? He does. He does have that air of we should be scared of him because this is not just another uh, an, another bad guy. Like this guy could go off the rails at any moment. Um, but I thought his use in the episode was a little bit more standard by the numbers. But he was he D'Onofrio was what made Kingpin interesting in this episode more than anything else. I mean, it certainly wasn't the writing, which didn't do much to acknowledge who he was or why we should care. Well, like, they want to. They probably want to keep their cards a bit. You know, they want to. They're probably not super sure what the plan. Well, I say that they're not. Let's presume they don't fully know the plan for him. They don't know. You know how audiences will respond. How do we square off the stuff that happened in those Netflix shows? How much of that is do we even think of as canon? Uh, there's the daredevil of it all, um, which has question marks around it. Uh, so I think they probably, you know, the writers of this episode and of this show, getting the wider, wider control, right? Probably just about squared that circle of like. They probably had a list of, hey, here's you're going to use Kingpin in this, and mm-hmm. here's who's going to play him. But here's what we, <laughs> here's what we want to and not to say about this version of the character. Here's, the, here's this piece of paper here. 
do do you do your magic? Yeah. And and I um, and I think and it was I think D'Onofrio does do his magic because so he walks yeah. into he walks into that first scene. It, it's it's a little bit of exposition. I didn't like the resolution of this because it really lets Eleanor Bishop off the hook. So the the explanation as so I the the biggest shocker of this entire finale. Um, Kate Bishop's dad is not back. He is in fact dead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brian Darcy James was cast for one scene. I'm still not sure he is dead. <laughs> I'm st- I still don't. I yeah. don't believe that. Either. But in this in this series, he season two, he'll be back. He they certainly back. believe he is dead. Yeah. He's dead. Brian Darcy James, you don't one cast. I was just mad. Yeah, Sorry, just yeah. Mad. He's so he was in debt to the kingpin. So when he died, Eleanor started working for the kingpin, and is clearly like uh, an important figure in his organization but she now wants out because her daughter is getting too involved um the moment in this scene that i was like fuck yes and back is right at the end when his like his eye twitches when she leaves he's like it like just just this in like he he's not allowing himself to get visibly angry you can just see his eye twitching and i was like ah oh, Donofrio's good Donofrio mm-hmm. is real good. Um, he's been given absolutely nothing to work with in this scene. He basically just has to be, well, you know, I'm important. You you should work. You shouldn't be walking away from me. Um, but Donofrio brings it. Um, what I couldn't square, guys. Why did Eleanor hire Yelena to kill Clint? Does that make sense? Does that make sense to anyone? <laughs> Why does she, why does she care about Hawkeye? Um, why isn't it because to stop to stop Kate interacting with with Hawkeye? But that's before that's is that oh has she maybe hired? So maybe Yelena is hired midway through this series, maybe after they have that conversation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> do, do I win a no price? <laughs> <laughs> So maybe she. I mean, hires... I mean, that has to. We have to conclude that. She, I mean, that, she... that that'll have, that has to. Be... Okay, I think I was probably working on the assumption that the Yelena scene at the end of Black Widow was happening kind of months ago or weeks ago, and she's just mm. she's just getting to New York to kill him now. But that would make sense that Kate hires uh, Eleanor hires him mid series, and I guess we're also supposed to the the Valen, the Contessa stuff doesn't connect at all with Yelena in this. Like that's just how she's learned about about Natasha dying by a Hawkeye, right? No, I think that's 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 how Elna hired her was through the Contessa, I think. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the implication, but again, sometimes lining up the post credit scenes with what happens after is is always sketchy, right? Um, I, I, I don't know. Did you guys read the news story that apparently the writers of, like, there was no connect, like the Hawkeye writers didn't know, did, hadn't seen that scene, and the, the the people who wrote the Black Widow scene didn't know that she was yeah. going to be in Hawkeye. Wow. So it's no, it's no, so it's no shock that they don't put it like that because <laughs> the people making them didn't know the other existed. <laughs> but anyway, Yelena is uh, because because she quite likes Kate. She sent she sends her a whole video of the conversation so Kate can get a download of all of the plot intricacies, um, which really which really makes things more expedient for the rest of the episode. Um, there is no, yeah. there's no. Well, what do, you know? There's no like explain yourself to me, Mum. It's Hey, listen to this tape I've got of you. Um, <laughs> you, you, you are bad, and I know that. Um, 
so that that sets things in motion with Clint's like, okay, so we need to. If your mum's involved with the kingpin, we definitely need to be involved. Let's go get ready. Um, meanwhile, we're straight back to the kingpin, who has now had a costume change and is wearing a a red floral shirt under his white jacket. I, is this a comics costume? It felt like a very specific choice. Which he's not. Uh, with yes, his, yeah, it is, and he's not yeah, in yeah. it in the first scene. Yeah, it's it's from the cover of um, Family Business, Spider-Man Family Business. Is that right? Uh, okay, I think. So that's a. It looked it looked quite yeah. It looked quite Bill Sinkevichy. I thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's that's the only reason where you can explain the character yeah. wearing that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. So this this is then the the Echo Kingpin scene. So Echo, uh, yeah, Kingpin as we now know is Uncle. So Echo has been working for him um, and suspects that he was involved in her dad being killed. And so just to squ- to to square off that circle as well, James, we were speculating about whether Ronan was ever anyone else. I think evidently Ronan was not anyone else. <laughs> Was no. that Clint, while he was Ronin, received a tip off that the head of the tracksuits was at the car lot, goes there and kills him, and um, and then runs away. Uh, so Ronin did kill him, but was probably manipulated sl- into it by someone within Kingpin's organization, and and that's come from Kingpin himself, basically. Uh, I see. Okay. Is that is that how you guys read it as well? Because there's no implication in this episode that anyone was ever Ronin. No. So you're supposed, yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to have question marks at the end about who uh, who Laura is. Sure, but I no, I don't think there's the suggestion. Uh, that she are you even Ronin. supposed to have question marks? Like a lot of people are going like, oh, so it's Laura Mockingbird. I was like, I never got I never got that impression. I think it's just well, she was she was at one she's point just a shield, a shield agent. agent. Yeah, agent, uh, agent, okay. agent nineteen. Okay. If you if you really okay, care no about your comics lore, you can you can go like, oh yeah, maybe she's Mockingbird and she's changed her name and appearance. <laughs> so <laughs> is there an Agent Nineteen? In... Sorry, sorry, Joe. You, you I, I don't know. Uh, this is discussion for the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. So yeah, Kingpin has the con- confrontation with Echo. Um, she is trying to front it up and say, like, oh, yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm cool now. I've decided that I'm not going to follow up this Ronin stuff anymore. You were right. And um, Kingpin sees straight through it and is like, right, okay, so now Maya's turned on me. Um, <laughs> I, That's the, one of the things I like about the Kingpin is that he's got no time for deception. Yes. <laughs> Too smart. Um, I, I feel like th- that's something that... Um, D'Onofrio could have done more with if those characters had been seen on screen together before that. Um, yeah, I, I get why they held off Kingpin, and I'm sure that they had you know limited time with D'Onofrio, and maybe it took a bit of rank. Yeah, I think that's why they held off Kingpin. Um, but I think all of the Echo stuff would have been much stronger if the if Kingpin hadn't been a secret, if it had just be, if he'd just been another character in the series. And maybe if he is, a, if he is a significant part of the Echo solo series, then it will be better there. But, um, do you think that still happens? Yes. Pro- I mean, she's the, she is the absolute worst part of the show, in my opinion. And 
nothing about any second she's on screen makes me go, yeah, I'd like to see a, a six-episode yeah. series about her. I just, yeah. the, I, for, I mean, not to be, the performance is just so, it's just so flat and boring. I just um, think she, and there's she nothing is, in the story. She, she is the element that feels like a, a Netflix, she feels like a Netflix supporting character. Mm. Um, yes. And, you know, if you, it like, it, and it kind of like a, you know, a, a cut rate version of the Netflix Electra because we don't get to spend yeah. the amount of screen time with her that we do with Electra. And that, you know, that in, in that series, that is a, a more charismatic performance. I just think it, it's Echo doesn't work top to bottom, but um, I think we probably do still see that series. If I had to guess. Do you think Daredevil? Do you think Daredevil will pop up in that? I hope 100% so. 100% yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, it does. It does feel like if you're going to bring back D'Onofrio, you're going to bring back Charlie Cox. So, um, fingers crossed. Um, so after after that, we then um, go to a uh, we go to we watch Clint and Kate preparing loads of trick arrows, which we're going to be uh, we're going to be seeing lots of later in the episode. Um, then we then cut to the uh, the location of this final fight, which uh, guys is Thirty Rock. Um, yeah, I, I did think that that must have been an interesting contractual thing for Disney to be like, "Hey, NBC, Universal, Comcast, can we use your famous New York building as the finale mm. of our episode of our, of our of our MCU series?" Well, I wonder if they, I wonder if they own the building, or maybe you know, maybe they you make an agreement with whoever owns the building, and they're like, "Yeah, great, you want to." You know, you want to, we can you can sell some more tickets to the to the ice skating next year because yeah. we we thirty Rockefeller Plaza Plaza are not owned by NBC. I don't know. Yeah, we well, well, or or they were just like you know this will pay for the for the lights being kept on this year. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, there, there's a Christmas party at Thirty Rock, um, and uh, Clint and um, Clint and Kate turn up, and they're uh, also at the party with them are the Larpers. And um oh, God, the lapis. So no, that's the worst part. <laughs> yeah, of the show. that is the Sorry. worst part of the show. <laughs> and then the setup for this is that we've got Kazi with kind of like a sniper trained on the party from the other side of the road. Uh Yelena and Eleanor then both arrive at the party as kind of like um you know, extra agents of chaos. And Kazi, I guess. I don't know who his main, whether Eleanor is his main target or whether it's the Hawkeyes or what. I don't know, Um, but he's going to be shooting and there's going to be nonsense going on at the party. Uh, Kate calls out her mum pretty early on and kind of says, like, I know you did all this stuff. And she tries to explain her way out of it. Um, And then Kazi tries to shoot Clint. And then we have chaos at the party and all of the action starts. I think if we go through this kind of kind of fight by fight almost, so there's a there's a lot of a lot of chaos to begin with. Um, Clint quickly flushes out Kazi with a smoke arrow, which means he has to leave his perch and kind of get over to Thirty Rock to join the fight. Um, and then we get, I think, the one of the most fun elements, which is Kate and Yelena kind of um, fighting and quipping. Um, these two characters are you guys on on the same page as me? These are two characters who you just want to see share the screen for the next 100%. five years of the MCU. 
this is the this is the, the the scenes between the two of them in in this series feel like properly foundational for a lot of fun to come. Um, yeah, because there's because there's there's uh obviously they're both you know they both have like definitely kind of humorous act you know acting chops. So there's all this fun kind of comedic chemistry, but there's also there's that tension there in terms of their backgrounds, the the kind of the Hawkeye of it all, the you know them what Yelena thinks other hawk there's 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 a there's a tension there it kind of reminds you know sort of there's 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 elements of captain america and iron man that that just sort of that mostly quippy dynamic but with you know with with tension there as you you know if we're way back from the first avengers movie um I think and, it's, and it's, they're just two top-end performers you know, it's almost like the charismatic performers the inverse of the cap iron man relationship where it's like those two are like we don't get on. We don't have anything in common personality-wise, but we respect each other's positions as Iron Man and Captain America and what we bring to the team in that way that we are going to have a truce and fight together. Whereas these two are like, we should not get on because you're trying to kill my you're trying to kill my mentor. <laughs> um, our first interaction is you breaking into my apartment to basically threaten me and my entire family. Um, and yet we can't help but kind of like each other. Um, and you can see that Kate is kind of like, I like the stuff with her like pulling off the suit, and it's like, did you did you do that on purpose? And that they kind of both see through each other a little bit. That Kate is. While she's fighting her, she's also trying to impress her. She's trying to prove herself to Yelena as well. And mm. um, yeah, I just, I, I, and the, you know, the back and forth is really fun. And them kind of complimenting each other on hurting each other in the fight. And, and like, I just think that, that Kate has been really well established as the series has gone on to like have that scene in the lift where she is fighting. Not to fight with Yelena, but just to push all the buttons in the lift is <laughs> is funny. Like that's that's a that's a great bit, <laughs> and I've and, Yel- say, and Yelena's reaction to it as well. It's good, good stuff. Uh, what I'm learning from this conversation is that I'm so much colder on this series than either of you because I thought all mm. of the stuff with those two characters was borderline interminable. Oh really? Oh god! Especially wow. especially that mac and cheese stuff in the previous episode. I oh, would that's rather my favorite scene of the whole series. I that, that, could that not. Bit. No, I just couldn't cope. I don't. I, wow. so I don't. I don't always think it's it's been the most compellingly written. I just think you could use there's two performers there who've got a spark with each other, and I think that I think they were desperately trying to make some bad dialogue feel sparky. Oh no, but that didn't that didn't excite <laughs> me for seeing more of it. Mm. Well, bad news. What, uh, what, there will be more of that. What I wanted I to see after this show, I wanted to see less of the Marvel TV, not more of those guys. <laughs> no, but I'd like to see them on an Avengers team, you know? That's what yeah, I want to see. Yeah, I can I can imagine that, but it doesn't mean I would ever go back and rewatch this, for example. I also thought that they um, they did a good job throughout the whole series of, of playing a lot of Kate stuff, you know, having a lot of comedy for Kate. But not, but but always not undermining her. But not under not undercutting her her sort of uh, um, her abilities, her talents too much. So that that again, that's that feels quite that feels important an important foundation for the future. That you know she's going to be on the funnier end of uh, you know of the superhero characters, but the com- she's still you know she's the, still the, the comedy with her comes from her being green, 
that she she doesn't mm. know how to be a superhero yet. But then also the flip of that is that she doesn't bring some of the pre-established like superhero ideas to it, and she's like, I'm just going to walk into mm. this building, or I'm not going to fight you now. I'm going to press all the buttons in the lift. That's that's I I I think the Kate stuff has been consistently pretty strong throughout the series. Um, yeah. The, the the fight then gets goes down to the street. Kate Kate has to jump out of a window, and um, hopefully now we can talk about something that we are going to be universally positive on in this episode, which is Jack, <laughs> the swordsman, the swordsman. Oh, who I, would have guessed I, at the start of the show that he was going to be the best thing about it? Yeah, I I thought he was kind of like in the first episode. I was like. Oh god, he really feels like a B C T S like kind of villain that you put into a Disney Plus show. Um who just just like feels like he doesn't belong there. And what they do with the character is basically uh, I I think kind of perfect. Subvert your expectations and go, no, he's not he's not a crap villain, he's a crap hero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he just wants to like he for me, he is the he's the good version of what they do with the LARPers. Uh, yeah, which yeah. is to go. Let's let's throw this guy in who has these kind of like pretensions of being in this world, um, and and then have fun with him. Literally, kind of on guarding people outside <laughs> outside a <the> skyscraper. <laughs> mm. um, and I just I thought it was such yeah. a funny performance. Um, I, I I could see. Yeah, this guy. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen this guy before. And he was he's in Narcos, he right, or something like that. Uh, okay, I think he just was very charming. He was a very it was a very charming performance. The you, thing, uh, yeah, the thing I loved most about his performance is when you know in the previous episode where he gets led away, he's like giving a supervillain performance, but that's just who he is. <laughs> he's like doing this kind of uh, I was all framed, you know. Don't worry, you'll see me again. He's a. I, it I turns think, out he's just a good guy. He's just. <laughs> I think he's just playing it as a ham, and that really works. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah, he's the kind of character that I could see that you would bring back in a, uh, in a kind of Disney plus, um, equivalent of Ben Kingsley way. Or that's, he'd pop up in exactly, like, uh, yeah. in a, um, oh, what was the guy's name? One division, the, the cop from outside. Who am I thinking of? Randall Park. Yes. Like he could yeah, pop yeah. up in something like that, like just playing a sort of a, a comedic foil, right? In yep. some other yeah, complete, completely unrelated in, to the events of Korka, yeah. Secret Invasion. He could be like he could be like a sidekick to Nick Fury's Secret Invasion. <laughs> yes, great. Let's do that. <laughs> um, I mean, he was my pick for Skrull, so who knows? We might we might yet see him again. <laughs> okay, I want to. I'm going to jump around in the chronology a little bit here because I want to get all of the Kazi stuff out of the way. Kazi and Clint fight. And I was like, no, what, what in this series has convinced us that this should be a fight that, well, that is a, that is a bother for Clint for even a second? This is the problem I had He's with space aliens. <laughs> this is the problem I have with when Kate and, uh, Kingpin fight though, which is that I don't think they really figured out why those characters should be fighting as the climax of the series. It's not like the Kingpin has been the architect of Kate's misfortune here. Like they just fight because they're in the same room, and that's why Kazi and Hawkeye fight. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like there's any emotional catharsis attached to them. Yeah, it's just. It's parents. just. I I do kind of think that this the finale kind of has a Clint problem in that 
the uh, the only stuff that we're interested in getting to with Clint is Yelena, right? And so mm-hmm. ev- everything else feels like it's spinning its wheels. So him fighting Kazi, yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him kind of easily dispatch of Kazi on two or three occasions earlier in the series. So that's that's fine. Uh, you know, they Kazi lands a few a few blows, and then Clint kind of easily gets rid of him. And then the the kind of follow up scene is the. Um, is when Kazi faces off with Maya and she kills him. And again, there's just there's just nothing in that scene. Like I, I think that, in that scene, right, they're they're sort of talking as if they were together. Which and I, I think was has watching been, that episode going I think has was been, that was that supposed to be what was happening? I think it's been really kind, kind of implied. But um, not heavily enough for it to, for me to care when they reveal it, right? Yeah, no, no. Um and yeah, when when she kills him, I'm like, okay, right, yeah. it's not good. Yeah, and and again, like that, that's probably something that for that character should be like this foundational emo- emotional moment. Um, and it just plays like, yeah, some some. It it plays like the you know like a, a scene that you can nip to the during, you know. <laughs> Uh, she should have been shooting a gun in the air and going ah. So anyway, R.I.P. Kazi. He's uh, he's killed. Um, he never got to wear his mime outfit. <laughs> yeah, no, he never gets never gets to put on the clown makeup. Um, so uh, then Kate is doing lots of fighting of the tracksuits on the on the street. Jack gets out his sword. That's fun. Um, and then Kate finds her way into F.A.O. Schwartz. Um, uh, and onto the onto the piano. Um, I, I'm not sure why they didn't really do much with it. Um, I thought that could have been a really fun, like if the if the fight had completely found its way into there, but it doesn't. Um, and then Clint ends up falling out of the building and into the tree. So he's stuck in the tree for half the episode. Uh, very weird kind of returning bit with a CGI... Was it an owl? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on there? I don't know. <laughs> oh, you didn't. You guys didn't see this? No. <laughs> so, they, so there was a... There was a I'll jump to the end. There was a, a cut post-credit scene where the owl comes and picks up the van that had been yeah, sunk in. Yeah, yeah. No, that's in the episode. Oh, Oh, I know okay. it's, it's the post-credit scene, right? But no, it's, oh, no, it's no, not it's in, the post-credit no, it's in, scene. It's yeah. in the episode. It's in the episode. Yeah, because the post-credit scene is the other thing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm oh, talking. Okay. I'm talking about that runner in general. Why is there a CGI owl? Yeah, it just felt Good very, felt very strange to me. Um, Maybe it's a reference to something we don't get because we're not American. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, the LARPers all get dressed up and they come and join the fight, which is is, is dumb. And then the the kind of the big set piece of the episode is kind of uh, Clint and you know uh, Clint and Kate both find their way to the ice rink, and all of the trick arrows come out, and they are basically fighting off hordes of tracksuits who are coming to attack them. Um, I thought this was fun, but. It 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 also felt like a kind of a watered down version of what they'd done in the third episode. Mm. Reese, can you tell me I'm wrong? Did you like this sequence any more than I did? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know, they've always, they've, they've, you know, Hawkeye in the movies has always, he just has the least interesting sort of power, you know, to watch in fight scenes. He's got a bow and arrow and they have done a pretty good job, especially in the, in the first Avengers movie of giving you just, you know, just giving you enough and, and it's cool enough. Whereas, you know, we've just had a lot of arrow stuff, obviously in the show and, at some point, you go, oh, yeah, it's shooting an arrow. <laughs> and this one has a gimmick. Can this problem be solved by shooting an arrow? Let me guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, just, I mean, he's got that problem in the comics as well. He's just, it's a limited, it's a, it's a limited uh, sort of options in fights. <laughs> okay. That's just what it is. So then, then they separate off and they have the, the so Kate has a face off with Kingpin um, and. Clint has his with Yelena. Um, let's talk about the the Kingpin stuff first. So, uh, yeah, I agree. It doesn't feel like the it doesn't feel like the the fight the fight that has any thematic or I guess it it certainly there's no there's no there's nothing important between Kingpin and Kate other than her, her mum was working for him and wants to get out. Yeah, but Kate doesn't care about that because Kate considers her mum a criminal. It's not like she's fighting to clear her mum's mm. name or to get revenge for the things he made her do. I think she doesn't want Kingpin to kill her mum, but uh, that. But you know, the the I think the fight is more there for a let's put Kate up against the biggest villain in all of this mm-hmm. and watch her just about hold her own. Except then she doesn't because she she does get bailed out by her mum. Running through him with a car. Yeah, is Kingpin indestructible? What's his vibe in the? Because he gets he gets shot uh, he gets shot with an arrow and just carries on like Terminator like, and then gets knocked through a wall by a car and gets up as well. So I think well, they've like, always. I mean, he's 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 you know he's he's been like a Spider Man villain, Spider Man who is you know got super strength. So I think in the comics, he's just a big guy. Who's who's very strong for a human, and he's just big and not fat, but he's just big. Uh, but yeah, stuff like that, you know, silly stuff like getting hit by an arrow in a car, like that. Exactly that sort of stuff happens in the comics. And it's it's you know he's uh, it, you you buy it, and I thought I bought it in this. <laughs> can I can I throw some uh, some silly Marvel speculation at you? Uh, so, so right on the one hand, he's kingpin. He's a big fucker. It doesn't matter. It's the MCU. On the other hand, mm-hmm. um, someone who's been accumulating wealth and power within New York and the MCU, uh, someone who's the head of this major organization who was interested in items that were recovered from the Avengers compound. Um, Sharon Carter was on the phone to someone at the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier selling stuff. Like, could that have been Kingpin? Could Kingpin have procured himself some of the uh, some of that secret blue serum that makes him super strong and indestructible? No. I'd <laughs> <laughs> know on that. Yeah, I'm sort of with Jay. Like, the fun of the character is, I think he, he you can't give him superpowers. I think. Um, yeah, because he hates superheroes. Like, that's that's sort of his thing. Yes. I mean, could that could could he have been on the phone to Sharon Carter? Sure, but uh, you know, I, yeah, it's all it's just so, so many question marks with with all of this. You know, it's clear that I think it's clear that D'Onofrio would like to continue to play Kingpin. Um, 
you know, and he's the he's 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 got the right stature, not physical stature, but he's just about he's the right level of a of a of the level of performance and the level of star that you could properly build stuff. You know, you could build a movie. Or, you know, he could be the villain in films, but you know, I I just wonder how far. I wonder. I just I doubt that the character can be this quite the same level of a, a supervillain that he is in the comics, based on not you know based on D'Onofrio and the the Netflix shows and um, and also the kind of power set that he kind of has to have. I just wonder, I wonder, I don't, you know, the speculation that he, that Kingpin will be the kind of a big bad in various Disney plus New York based street level shows. I, I, I wouldn't be against it, but I'm, I think it's unlike, I think it's unlikely. I don't know what you guys think. I think he's back. I, I, I this, this to me has the feel of like a, Okay, we got the contract done. You're in there. Do this. Let's not be specific about anything, and then let's figure it all out later. I, 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 yeah, I, I think, I think there is Zenofrio's back. There is no chance we don't see him in the Echo Show. Like 100, percent he's back for that. At yeah, but, I, I, but to what? I'm just just speculating to what degree he's he will be used going forward. That's all. Yeah, um, I guess. I guess the question is: Is he street level Thanos, or is he a villain that turns up? Now, I mean, I now, sort of think now and again he, when he's useful. Street level yeah. Thanos would be a good vibe because that's the thing these shows are missing is a real compelling reason to get invested in each one. Like if they were all facing similar threats and, you know, there were promises of a team up and stuff, <laughs> I would get a sense of an evolving world around them just, in a way that I don't. Just having flashbacks to the I last time get... the Marvel street level characters had a yeah, but, you know, in New York. That was Netflix. I just didn't get the vibe from him in this episode that he could be street level Thanos. I don't know if you guys disagree with that. I I do disagree with that because I just did think it was it was it was just non specific enough with mm. with what was going on around him and because of the build up that Clint had given him, which was like even I don't want to mess with this guy. Yeah, I think the writing yeah. around him in the rest of the series convinced me of it more than the episode itself. And then the episode itself has just D'Onofrio being kingpin, so that's enough. That's enough for me to think he can <laughs> He's be. Great. Yeah, I like the way they shoot him. Like I think they, they the way they, because obviously he he can't be as physically big as he is depicted in the comics, or even in Spider Verse. But I love the way that I feel they the way they style the way the way he styled the way he's shot. It's he's got a real kind of grab a real size to him. Yeah, I love he all does that feel stuff. The performance huge. is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um so me- we'll meanwhile, um the- <laughs> Yelena is fighting Clint and it's it's one of those classic here's what I think happened. And he's like, no 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 here's what actually happened. Well I'm gonna punch you anyway. Okay. Um but what if our mums had the same name? Sorry, no, what if I whistled uh-huh. um then <sighs> then could we be friends? <laughs> And this was the the bad version of the Martha thing. I like it. Just it, it does. It didn't make a huge amount of sense to me to begin with that Yelena would just blindly want to kill Hawkeye based on her sister being dead and why she would blame him. Um, again, I think this this feels slightly confused in the she's hired to kill Clint. And also, she has personal animals. and also wants to do it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I think kind of do one or the other. Have her turning up to fight Clint, and then him having to maybe explain to her, "No, no, don't you understand that I was your sister's best friend?" And that, it, but uh, this, it, it felt clunky, and the whistle felt like again shorthand of 
how do we breeze past this rather than actually having a proper, a, you know, a, a proper referendum on whether <laughs> on, on whether Hawkeye does deserve some comeuppance? Because this is as we are flashing between these two scenes, we are watching Eleanor Bishop, who, on the basis of killing one person, is you know rightfully arrested and is sent to atone for her crimes in prison. And Hawkeye, who killed a fuckload of people, who in that scene we are just being asked to go, but he's a good guy. They they were bad guys though. That's the they difference. Wore track suits, Joe. They wore and they were in a mafia. Was Armand? Why, why did she kill Armand? We, do we know? Uh, because I, I think because Kingpin's older too. I think probably. asking too many questions. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Poor Simon Callow. Um, of course I yeah. So yeah, I, he wasn't a clone. He didn't have clones <laughs> in the end. <laughs> so I, I, thought, I thought the Yelena Clint scene was a bit of a dud in the end. Um, as much as I thought both of the actors tried to bring something to it, it just it it was built on too shaky a ground for me to really pay off. Yeah, you have. This is one of those sort of MCU things where you know what they're referencing are. Hawkeye cutting the rope to Black Widow in the space, <laughs> and she she transforms her soul into something. And then, and then on the other end of it, Yelena finding out at the, in the end of a post credit scene that happens. Yeah. Who can tell what after a movie that's a that's a prequel being told <laughs> by a character that we haven't met before that a thing happened that didn't really happen. And then, yeah, to Joe's point, it's like. How in, how is how are we as an audience supposed to kind of really smush all that together in our in our heads and our hearts in yeah. that in that moment? It's it is a stretch. It is a stretch. Um. So and then I guess the final the final moment from all of the fighting that we need to address is that um, Maya comes across Kingpin and appears to shoot him, but obviously doesn't or doesn't kill him because Kingpin ain't dead. Uh, do you want a quick comics comics explainer there? Yeah, go on. In in the comics, uh, Kingpin gets shot in the face, and it doesn't kill him, but it does blind him for a bit. Mm. Then he gets uh, robot eyes, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, for for a bit, he's blind because okay. there's some synchronicity there between uh, Daredevil yeah, and Echo. Okay, right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> sounds silly. Um... <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be the first robot eye uh, in a in a MCU character. That we oh, absolutely seen, not. So... You know, yeah. that has already been established. Rocket could just wander in into Echo Episode 2 and, hey, I got some, <laughs> I got some ice for you, Kingpin. <laughs> <laughs> some more butt eyes. Um, yes. So, yeah, so so that's the, the setup, I guess, for Maya and that Echo series. Um, there's a bit of japes with, with Jack talking to the LARPers. Um <sighs> I hope I that's really hope that's the last we see of that. Yeah, coming to Disney Plus in twenty twenty three. The LARPers. Grills Grills Jack and the LARPers. Um and then there is a oh, ten episodes. A little bit of emotional catharsis for Clint and Kate. And this is kind of the only stuff that I ended up really caring about on an emotional level was that relationship and him as a mentor and her as a as a kind of, you know, a, a fresh hero trying to prove herself. With him like holding a hand and saying he's proud of her. I was like, that's nice. That's just, just, just nice to hear him say, I'm proud of you. That's all I, I think would, would, would work better if like in the comics, he didn't have 
a nice relationship with like four of four of his own children. Yeah. <laughs> like that would, that would, you know, like, Oh, he's learned to be a dad. No, he, he is a dad. <laughs> he already has a kid. He's learned to be a super dad. <laughs> yes. I, did, um, I felt bad for his wife when they turn up at the farmhouse and he's like, yeah, just put someone else extra for Christmas dinner. He's <laughs> like, what? You couldn't have phoned. <laughs> Didn't make enough things in blankets. I just thought it'd be a funny surprise to bring someone yeah. Yeah. Back yeah, from I assume you weren't coming because you've you've changed your plans fucking a hundred times this week. <laughs> I know you show up and now there's fucking two of you. Yeah. Thanks, dude. But thanks for my watch. Thank you. So <laughs> things are wrapped up with she goes back to the Barton's farm for Christmas. Uh yeah, we we see that the watch belonged to Laura. She was shield agent nineteen. So it's, maybe, maybe, maybe no, she, we don't know. She was a question mark. She was a she was a shield agent. I guess it, you know the the stuff you were saying, James, about Mockingbird. Maybe you know, maybe that's something that they could say later on, like, "Oh, she's Mockingbird," but I don't think it. I don't think it really matters. She is. No. She she was a shield agent. She's now retired. She's married to Clint, and if at some point they wanted to bring her back into the action. They could, or they could never talk about it again. It doesn't. I don't think it or also, prequel series like Young Hawkeye and Young Laura. No, I'd watch that. That's not happening. I'd watch like a. I'd watch like a, when Harry met Sally, like little Mr. and Mrs. Barton. Yeah, that'd be fun. No, incorrect. No. <laughs> okay, I was, I rescind. <laughs> um, they burn the Ronin suit. Let us never talk of it again. And uh... <laughs> when, when that was happening, I was like, "Isn't this supposed to be like Kevlar or something?" Right, <laughs> you're just burning it. Well, you didn't see the hour that they spent like trying to light it, like trying to like, <laughs> pouring stuff on it. <laughs> this damn thing just won't light. Um. And then they kind of uh, walk off talking about what her superhero name is going to be. And she's thought of lots of ideas. And then Clint says, I've got a good idea for you. And we get the title card, which is Hawkeye. So she's she's Hawkeye now. They're both Hawkeyes. And that's nice. I'm glad that we're going to have Kate Bishop in the MCU. And, um, uh, and, and... It's also fun. Can I also make a... I, I find it funny how many of these shows have ended, maybe not Loki, but ended with like, a reveal of a new character name and a and a new outfit for the character, <laughs> but, but like like a like new three of the four, a new character name and a new outfit for the character that we knew already. Like and now yeah. and now she's the Scarlet Witch. I know. <laughs> and now she's Hawkeye. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was from from like the, the Captain America the one. Start, was, right? Right? Actually, that was that was that was that was that was building to, from the end of friggin' Endgame. <laughs> yeah, at the end of Endgame, yeah, he gets given the shield, and we're like, oh, cool, he's Captain America now. He's Captain no, America. <laughs> not until episode six. <laughs> yes, he must go do a therapy first with the robot boy. <laughs> and this and this was the episode where he truly did become Loki for the first time. <laughs> um and then then we get to the post credit sequence and the i i think the 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 first part of the first slice of canonical mcu that i haven't watched <laughs> I, I watched the whole thing I, expecting a punchline i couldn't there wasn't a punchline i couldn't do it yeah, i didn't watch I it i couldn't do it it was i thought i just it it made, made me want to claw out my eyes and ears. <laughs> I was genuinely expecting there to be someone sitting in the audience. Like, like genuinely, I was expecting Bruce Banner to be sitting there going like, 
I thought Hawkeye was coming. Where's Clint? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, but no, no, it was just the song. I would. I, that was a just a little treat for us. I would say I think it is. <laughs> I, I think it is very well, earnestly done in the way it was intended, and I think the people, you know who were responsible for the song and that were performing it should all <laughs> should be sent to the hate. No, I yes. think they should be, I, I think they, they should be proud of themselves for doing a kind of a cheesy Broadway style superhero thing that did hit, did have me kind of thinking about Spider-Man, Spider-Man turn off the dark and that, turn off the dark, yeah. uh, that, that I, like, I can't get that David Letterman clip out of my mind when it, when the, <laughs> Letterman has to walk onto the stage and be like, you're the lizard. What? <laughs> um, so I, I, this is not me saying it's bad. It's just me saying I can't, I couldn't watch it. <laughs> yeah, fair. Okay, so so guys, kind of broad takes on the series and hopes, expectations for what comes next. Do you think? Do you think we get an, a series two of Hawkeye in in any kind of way, or do you think the question is where do we see these characters next that isn't a Hawkeye series? Hawkeye season two, Brian Darcy James, uh, Kate Bishop, no, um, no Renner in LA. That's I think that happens. Yeah, I, I think that happens before we see Kate in a movie. But I think Renner cameo. That's the only difference. Well, because the, the you know, I think Renner's um, Renner's the one on the phone this time. Yeah, I mean, what was I going to say? Um, it's the, 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 you know these these characters are all going to be in an Avengers or a Young Avengers or a Thunderbolt or a Dark Avengers or whatever. But you know we sort of know the slate now for the next two or three years, and that isn't on the slate. So yeah, so they've got I to think, keep them ticking over somewhere. I think they're going to be in these shows for a little bit before they before before they. But they will be a movie with these with these characters in it. For I sure. just I really want the shows to get better because I'm not having a lot of fun watching them at the moment. <laughs> I. I kind of thought that this was, as a series, fine week to week. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed episode three, and otherwise, I was like, "This is this is okay." I certainly wasn't having the frustrations that I was with Falcon and the Winter Soldier and um, and Loki, but um, but yeah, I, I uh, yeah, it's it's certainly not I. I I don't think I would be rushing to watch these these shows weekly at the moment if it weren't for the podcast. Um, that's that's I, the thing, right? I think if I these would, were DC I, shows, I would have dropped off them. I think, to be honest, I think I'd still be watching them because of my because of my MCU, you know, buy-in. Yeah, I'd be binge watching them at the end. Yes, that's that's probably what I'd be doing. Um, certainly with Hawkeye, but I, d- I definitely didn't feel that way with One Division. Um, but yeah, we've got. I mean, coming up, we've got Moon Knight. That's a, the thing, though. Is I, I, I'm still kind of like I'm looking at what they've got coming up, and like Moon Knight with Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac, She Hulk with Tatiana Maslany, uh, Secret Invasion, which feels like it's going to be like an an event series almost on on TV. Ms. Marvel, like yeah, I, I'm still I still am because of the residual mm. interest in these characters and I'm still bought in all of those shows. Um, but yeah, um, I, I do understand your, um, Moon Knight's going to suck. I just think and that's going to be <laughs> the is, last it's one. It's going to be so bad. I think, I think it's going to be terrible and we're going to, we're going to go, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> uh, I think there's a chance it's terrible based on, I mean, nothing really, but 
Okay, and anyway, and, and, and are we a hundred percent that um, Kate Bishop and or Clint Barton, but I think more likely Kate Bishop, don't turn up in any of these movies that are on the slate? We've got Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I would say no. Thor: Love and Thunder. Nah. No. No, that movie's stacked already. Wakanda Forever. No chance. No. The Marvels. Possibly. Possibly, yeah. Just because she's a female hero rather than any... Well, because... Well, also, Miss Marvel's based in New Jersey, right? Like, she's in New Jersey. She's, she's in the young, she'll be in the Young Avengers. Okay, right, yeah, okay. Um, but maybe she's their friend. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 feels like a no. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. That mm, one you could maybe. see. You could see her, because obviously Catherine Newton has, you know, stature. Yeah. You know, Hawkeye yeah. and Ant-Man have a sort of dynamic... I, so think I, can definitely, I can actually, that's likely. Yeah, I think that's top of, top of my list as to where she shows up on screen and, if not and then, in the Marvels. And then Fantastic Four. Nah. Who knows what the fuck that, that movie is. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is too far. Yeah. Listen, Bay she's gonna Blade. Be, she's going to be in Blade for sure. <laughs> Based on... Um, she's got, she shoots little blades. <laughs> I've got to say, I'm a lot more excited for Fantastic Four after uh, No Way Home, but we'll get to that discussion. Okay. Um, and then I feel like the next time we see Yelena is probably when Kate Bishop calls her up, right? To be like, oh, hey, I know someone who might be useful for the team. Because again, I don't really see like a, a natural point to slot her in. The only established characters in the MCU that she really has anything to do with is Kate Bishop now. So that's probably her way yeah. into you. It's tough, isn't it? Because it feels like, why would you set these characters up and then leave them fallow for two, three years? Yeah, there, there, there must be, there must, there be must plans. be more TV stuff incoming. Well, TV, or, or you're right, maybe like a, a supporting turn, kind of in in one of those other movies. I can, I can imagine Secret Invasion being like bringing everyone one episode, into it. One episode guest guest appearance for Yelena or for Kate. Yeah. You know, Nick Fury is the spine around the whole thing, and maybe you know a secret slash new Avengers team at the end. Yeah, I could see, and and again, you could see those characters showing up in some capacity in Ms. Marvel or Ironheart, maybe you know with the, yeah. with those younger characters as well. So yeah, hopefully we do see them again soon. And yeah, I would, I think I'd be more interested in a Hawkeye season two that is full, um, full Kate, yeah, full Kate than than this vibe again, and just just because I think. That's for me. That that should be Renner's role now, which is kind of the guy on the farm that you call up, rather than someone who is actively a a, a major part of any of these yeah. films or shows. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Okay, so that was um, Hawkeye. Uh, we uh, will wait on the Patreon for the for the for the next Disney Plus show to turn up which i think is probably moon Knight, we think um but with you know hasn't hasn't been announced as of yet um and then obviously on the main feed we will be uh getting our end of year copies awards will be coming to you soon and then also spider-man that we need to catch up on so uh lots of exciting stuff coming your way in um in the next couple of weeks slash months and um that's it for this week's episode um if you uh yeah if you're listening on patreon thanks for listening already if you would like to uh to get to get to get all of this and all of the back content head to 
patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. You can subscribe to us at $3 a month and get all of, uh, all of these uh, bonus weekly episodes. We also went through the Hawkeye comic book series, which was a huge amount of fun. So do check those out if you haven't already. Um, you can subscribe on the main feed on your podcast app of choice. Uh, if you want to find us online, we are at Cine underscore verse on Twitter. I'm at Joe Cunningham 14. James is at James Hunt and Reese is at Reese. Uh, we will be back yeah, very shortly, depending on how quickly I see Spider-Man, either with the cuppies first or Spider-Man uh, No Way Home first. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a surprise. Thanks for listening, and, and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.